Amen. Good morning. Good to see you in the house of the Lord this morning. Y'all doing good? Praise God. This, no, we knows what Sunday this is, according to our Gregorian calendar, Palm Sunday. This is the Sunday that 2,000 years ago they missed the timing of the Lord. Amen? Now, this is no offense to churches that have done that today, that do that. Uh, sometimes on this Sunday they'll pass out palms. And they declare, you know, Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, uh, which it never says that. It'll say it above the paragraph by those who printed the Bible. But it doesn't seem very triumphant because Jesus wept. How I many knows they were throwing palm branches in their garments and they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then seven days later they would crucify him. And the same people that were hollering Hosanna were the same people that began to holler crucify him. And we can see they missed it. And uh, Jesus said, had you known the time of your visitation. So they didn't realize that what he was really coming into Jerusalem was not the triumphal king, the conquering king. But he was coming in as a sacrificial lamb uh, to offer his life on the cross as a sacrifice for the sin of the world. Can you say amen? Now that doesn't mean we shouldn't celebrate that, but we just need to be clear what time and what season it is. Amen? And uh, you know, I really don't know how people make it in the world that don't have the confidence and the faith that they have a Savior that is in them. That he's not, you know, zillions of miles away in a planet called heaven. But we have now become the habitation of God, the house of the Lord, his tabernacle. Now, just let me know if I say something in the Bible. Now, I'm getting a lot of feedback, brothers. I know y'all working on it. Not from the people, I mean from the monitor. Friday night, about 7 o'clock, I was in line at Lowe's in the garden center. Because I have... There is fungus among us in my lawn, so I was getting some stuff to hopefully kill that. And my phone rang, and, and I, it was my youngest son. All my children are in Nashville, Tennessee this weekend and they, with their business. And uh, so I was standing in line, in a long line to check out. And uh, as soon as I answered the phone, I could tell by his voice something was really bad wrong. A lot of you know that when he was 18, he got diagnosed with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, which is just a real, you know, serious heart condition. And, of course, your mind, your human part just goes to that. But when I answered the phone, uh, I could tell in his voice, he, he said, something's wrong, Daddy. And I said, what's wrong? He said, I'm dying. And uh, my son, if you knew Austin, he is, you can't even make the boy go to the doctor. I mean, he never complains. He never says anything. Even when things are going on, he won't tell you. He's always been that way. And he said, I'm dying, Daddy. And, uh, and I said, no, you're not. What's wrong? And they had pulled over at a service station. He hadn't quite made it to, uh, to Nashville, Tennessee, to his, to his uh, hotel. And uh, his wife was, was driving, had taken the, the, the wheel because he was feeling bad. And he said, I just know I'm dying. And I can feel it. 
And, uh, of course, I left my buggy <laughs> and got out of line and, and ran to my truck where I could talk to him and pray. And she had called 911, called the ambulance. And uh, he just was te- he was literally just telling me goodbye. He said, Daddy, you know, I love you. Tell Mom I love her. Promise me you'll take care of Abel, your son, my grandson. It was the most horrific, horrifying call because he's a paramedic too and he knows things and he began to describe some of the symptoms he was having and but the the point of this is just to say to you number one is to give god praise is to just give god praise but in those few moments i mean you just it's just you just don't want to get i mean what are you going to do and i I said in the truck i said you will you will not die uh you're not going to die i declare you shall live and not die You'll declare the works of the Lord. And I said, you know, you're not, you're not leaving here. He said, I am, Daddy. I, I just, I, I can feel my body leaving. And, uh, and so I just began to pray for him and just to declare God's word over him. And not only that, to declare his destiny that I know from a child, his destiny in God. And, uh, and then I could hear the sirens pulling up, the hamlets. And, of course, he had to go. The, the paramedics were, were there. And then for those next 30 minutes, you're waiting. You're waiting. Your mind's telling you the next call you get will be from the hospital saying he's passed away. Or you, that, that, that war is going on in your head. But, see, this is not some game we're in here. This is a real relationship with a real God. And all I can say to God is, God, you promised a present help in time of trouble, and we're in trouble right now, and we need you. And, you know, it's something about when, you know, if he was close around, if he was in the merchant room where I could drive to him, you feel like you can do more. I couldn't, I couldn't just snap my finger and be in Nashville, Tennessee. But I said, God, you're there. And I just, I just literally said, I point my finger to Nashville, Tennessee, and I declare my son will not die, but he shall live. And uh, by the time they got him to the emergency room and began to evaluate him, everything was normal. Everything, everything was normal. And, uh, and I was talking to him yesterday, and he said, Daddy, I hate that I called you. He said, but I honestly felt like that I was dying, that I felt like I was my, 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 he said, I felt like I was leaving my body. He said, it's just hard to explain that I could see from above, you know, my body. I know that may sound weird to you. And he's just not a kid that would ever even do that. And uh, I said, son, whatever was going on got stopped. It got, it got halted in his tracks as we began, not only me, but other people. I called his mom. I hated to make that call to her. Uh, and tell her, but we begin to declare and rebuke the spirit of death uh, that would try to take the life uh, of our son. And, uh, you know, when I got up Saturday morning, looked in the mirror, I said, now I think I got some more gray hairs that I didn't have yesterday. And, uh, but I just wanted to give God praise for, for answering prayer and for sparing uh, him. And uh, just God's real. And his power is real. His presence is real. And I thought about what about people, you know, God loves everybody. I mean, he died for the sin of the world. But people that don't have the confidence that they can call on him like that. And, uh, you know, they have this thing where somebody says, well, you need to talk to this guy that, 
You know, he can get a prayer through or talk to this lady or this person. Listen, we can all get a prayer through if you'll just have confidence in the one you're praying to. Amen. Amen. And uh, because the Bible says this, that, that his ear is always open to our cry. If, if we will declare that relationship with him. And I, I just can't imagine going through, you know, life is life. Going through things without that confident assurance that you got somebody with you. And uh, not only is he with you, but he's in you. And that he not only is he in you, but he's for you. Amen. And that's, that's the Jesus that we serve. Amen. So I just wanted to, to declare that to you. And, and whatever you're facing, whatever you or your family is going through, and it may not be as an emergency like that, as critical as that moment was. And, uh, you know, and, and in that moment, I mean, you know, you, you, you're war in that war. You know, I was a paramedic for 20 years, so my mind's telling me, you know, when I was that paramedic for 20 years, most of the time when people in the back of that ambulance looked at me and said, I'm dying, most of those people were correct. Because there's just something in the, that you know. You just know. You just have, a, you just know. And uh, for him to say that to me was even more horrifying based on my experience. But all you can do in those moments is stand and declare the opposite. Declare what God's word says and, and declare his destiny. And, uh, and man, that was a terrifying, just being honest, a terrifying 30 minutes or so before, 40 minutes, whatever it was, before we got that next call. We didn't even know what hospital he was going to. Had no idea. And you can't do anything about it. And if you jumped in the vehicle and headed to Nashville, you're not going to be very far down the road. You, don't, you just don't know. But received that first call and, uh, from my daughter that was by his side and said, you know, that he was talking. And they're working on him. They're going to be doing this and this, CAT scanning him and all this kind of stuff that they were, you know, uh, quickly working on him. And we were waiting to hear, you know, waiting to hear and declare the truth of God's word. And uh, my only comfort was just to go outside my house and to walk in my driveway and just begin to speak the word of God uh, to that situation. And uh, so I, I just wanted to publicly, uh, I hope that encourages you, but to thank God. That, uh, that he intervened. That's what I was asking him to do, intervene. I can't, I can't do this, but you can. Amen. Let's give him one more praise. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, uh, I'm going to let you be seated in just a second. Last Sunday, we titled it, uh, uh, what did we title it? The Great Religious Blind Spot. And how that, you know, last Sunday we talked about how that there, there is still this paradigm, this this way of thinking in this world that if you do good and you be good, and if you're good enough, then at the end you'll go to heaven. That bad people go to hell and good people go to heaven, and, and, and that is not the paradigm that Jesus came to bring us. And uh, Jesus came that the dead would have life. And uh, when Adam and Eve partook of the, the garden, fruit forbidden, knowledge of good and evil. Uh, do you understand that the good side of the tree is just as bad as the evil side of the tree? And in fact, sometimes I think it's worse because people that think they're good and that they, by their own performance, can save themselves are more deceived than the people that are doing evil works and know they're doing evil works. But our goodness, our righteousness is not of our own. It comes from the Lord. And that's just what this whole season is about. So as we approach uh, Passover next Sunday... And uh, this, this is what it's about. It's about that, uh, that, that sacrifice. And so I wanted to title this day The Great Divide. And so, Father, we thank you for the, the cross that divides time in half.
that, Lord, causes all things to be different from the time that you died and was buried and resurrected. And we give you praise for what you came to do and what you accomplished when you came on that cross in Jesus' name. Everybody said, turn around and shake somebody's hand. Give them a big smile. Tell them we're glad you're at Grace Point. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, the, uh, the Apostle Paul, he said reality, the substance is, is found in Jesus. He talked about that in Hebrews in chapter 10. He said that the, the law is a shadow of good things to come. But Jesus is the reality. He's the substance. And um, when he said that, he, he drew a line between the shadow of, of death-dealing religion and the authentic reality of the substance of life that comes through the life-giving Savior, who's Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? You know, th- this is what religion does. And you know, religion says it's all about you, but grace says it's all about him. That's, that's the big difference. And uh, religion says, all right, you need to do this, do, 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 do this, do that, do that. It's all about us doing something. And, uh, but the good news declares, the grace of God declares it's done. It's not something you do. It's something that Jesus has already Done, And you put your faith in what he's done, not in what you are presently uh, doing. Uh, for too long, I'm telling you, the world and, and really a lot of the church has been bound by the never-ending demands of religion. It just never ends. And, but, but when we talk about Jesus said he come to set the captive free, the law never has set anybody free. But Jesus is the one that set the captive free. And, and true freedom is found in knowing the Savior, listen, that said this statement. Jesus said, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. He, remember that? He said, come to me and I'll give you what? Rest. Now, he's not talking about all you people that work down at the factory and work a lot of hours. He's not talking about work and vocation. He's talking about all you that have labored under the horrendous burden of the law to try to obtain relationship and righteousness with God. He said, now all you that have labored and are heavy laden from that impossible burden, now that you know you can't do it, come to me. That's all it is about, God. Come to me, and I'll give you rest. Because you don't have to do it because I'm going to do it. You can rest from trying to perform to gain my favor. I'm just going to give it to you as a gift. This is why it's good news, y'all. And so that's what, and and then he said this, he said, take my yoke and learn of me. Because I'm meek and I'm lowly in heart. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, if you've ever been involved with church and religion and what you thought was Jesus, and you were heavily burdened and yoked down, it wasn't Jesus. Now, this Savior said, my yoke is easy. I grew up hearing people say how hard it was to serve God, live for God. We used to have Wednesday night testimony services in our church. It should have been called Wednesday night, let's praise the devil some. 
Because that's all I heard. I'm serious. As a kid, people would stand up and they would say, the devil's been on my back, preacher, all week. I tell you what, he's just been, you know, right. I mean, and, they're just, and, and the theme was what the devil was doing. And then right before they would sit down, this was a common saying in, in, in my church, but y'all, you know, I just want to give God praise. Y'all pray that I'll hold true to the end. That I'll make heaven my home. And they'll give a little handshake, you know. Man, I didn't feel uplifted by hearing all that. They would say, you know, Pastor, it's so hard to live for God today in this evil world. It's not hard to live for God. Because it's no longer that I that live. Paul said, but Christ, he's the one that lives it in me. It's hard for you to try to earn a relationship with God or earn favor with God when it's been gifted to you. And that's the whole deal. Remember, we talked last Sunday, we mentioned the rich young ruler. Remember how he came to Jesus in, in, in Matthew 19 and 16, and he called him, he said, good teacher. Remember, what must I do? You know, actually, he said there in Matthew, what good thing, what good thing shall I do that I, that I might have, have, not receive, have eternal life. In other words, how, tell me what I can do to add salvation to my portfolio. Tell me what I can do that I can save myself. And, and remember what Jesus said to him? He said, well, you know the law. So here, here comes Jesus. What does Jesus, first thing he do to this guy, he preaches the law to him. Now, if I was to ask you who is the greatest law preacher of all time, who would you say? See, now, I heard it, and that's fine. I'm, I'm glad you did because it helps my sermon. But I heard you say Moses. But Jesus is actually the greatest law preacher of all time. Because Jesus preached the law to those that were under the law. And, and it gets so confusing when you pick up your New Testament Bible and you start reading it, you, you can really get confused about this, this thing called Christianity. And, and I get it. Because I've lived there a lot of decades. But I'm trying to help us now together to see the great divide. And so what do I mean with the great divide? I, I actually started to do it. And then I said, no, I don't want to be, you know, too theatrical or anything. It's just not really my deal. But I actually got one of my Bibles out. Now, I've got a Bible up here, but it's in an iPad. But, you know, but I, I brought a, I had my Bible and, and uh, got it off the shelf. And I said, well, I think I'll just go to church and uh, open my Bible where it says the New Covenant or the New Testament. You know, it's the dividing page between the Old and the New. And it's, it's one page, and that's all it has on that page. It says the New Covenant or the New Testament, depending on the, the Bible. And I started just to hold that up and show it to you so you can imagine this scene, how dramatic this would have been had I followed through. But to hold this scene up and then all of a sudden just tear that page out. Because that's not when the New Testament begins. And then I would flip over to like Matthew 28 and then stuff it in there. And that's when the New Testament begins. It begins with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The, 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 the New Testament does not begin with the birth of the baby in Bethlehem. But it would be 33 years later before the New Covenant would go into force. Okay, so because the new covenant or the new testament is a will and no will goes into force until the death 
of the person who wrote the will. And so you have to keep that in mind when you're reading your Bible or you will get so confused even reading the New Testament. Now, the Old Testament, I admit, a lot of that's a big challenge. Okay? I ain't got it all figured out by no means. The Bible is not a book to be understood. It's, it's, it's a person to be believed in. And every chapter of that Bible points to a person and his name is Jesus. And, and, but but, but this, this is the thing we have to understand that when Jesus, the Bible said in Galatians 4 and 4 that, that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, but born under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that he might bring them into sonship. So that's why Jesus came. And so if you miss that, and everybody knows that every Jew knew he's born under the law. Jesus was born under the law. He, and everybody that met Jesus was under the law. And Jesus was carried to the temple on the eighth day. And he was circumcised by the law. His parents offered him according to the law. He did everything that the law demanded and required. He did everything. And Jesus, on his first inaugural sermon, long sermon. You think I preach long. You need to look at Jesus. Jesus starts in Matthew 5 with the Sermon on the Mount, and it covers several chapters. And there Jesus begins to preach to them. And now he's talking to Jews. Now, whether you understand this or not, and I don't mean any of this by arrogance. I'm just saying, I mean, after 34 years of preaching the gospel, I should know something by now. Right? Or just drop the mic and go on and do something else. And I'm still learning. I'm still a student. I'm still a disciple. Jesus preached the, 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 the Matthew 5, and it's amazing. It, uh, you know, it starts off pretty good. He's like, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm like, yay, <laughs> I'm poor, yay. You know, and then he, you know, and so he starts off, you know, like that. But as he goes on and the train begins to get to churning, he says, like, you have heard it said, Thou shalt not murder, but I say unto you, if you ever hated anyone, you're guilty of murder. And they're like, I ain't, this ain't good. That's not good news. Because I, I knew before the sermon started that I am obeyed the commandment, not thou shalt not murder. And on that one, I can give a check there, I'm good. I'm righteous when it comes to that one. And here comes Jesus and says, if you ever hated anybody then you're guilty of murder. He just made everybody in the pile a murderer. And then he says, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. And they go like, I'm good on that one. I've never slept with anybody, but the one I'm supposed to sleep with, I'm good. Jesus said, if you ever lusted after anybody, you're guilty. And he said, if you've ever done these things, and if your right hand has ever caused you to sin, then take, you know, a machete and chop it off. Because it's better to go to heaven one less hand than have two to be cast into the judgment. Oh, well, he didn't really mean that. Well, how do you know what parts he meant and what parts he didn't mean? Boy, once we crack that can open, we got a mess. Well, he didn't really mean to literally cut your hand off. That's what he said. He didn't say, I'm going to say something now, but I don't really mean it. No, he said, I'm going to say something. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And if your eye causes you to offend, pluck it out. 
They're like, man, I ain't never heard nobody preach like this dude. This, is, this, this brother be preaching. And then he, he ends the chapter 5, not that it was like Jesus didn't go, well, okay, I'm going to end chapter 5, I'm going to start chapter 6. But the last verse of chapter 5, Jesus drops a real bomb on them. He says, be ye perfect. Comma. So now they're thinking, how perfect is he talking here? Well, perfect is perfect, y'all. If you're taking a test, is 100 perfect or not? It's perfect. You made 100. And what if you made 99? Is that perfect? No, you missed one. So 99 would be short of perfection, right? But see, you think God's like a good old boy. And he's like, oh, come on in anyway. You're close enough. But God ain't like that. Jesus says, this is the qualification for going to heaven. Be ye perfect. Just as perfect as my Father is. As my Father in heaven, be that perfect. Now, how many of those know that those Jews, when they heard that, it blew their mind? Now, a few verses above that, he had made this statement, which was equally amazing. He said this to them. He said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, every Jew there was like, man, I just need going to the house then because I'm, I'm bound for hell. There's no way. The scribes and the Pharisees were the most righteous people on the planet. And you would think that Jesus became angry with them so many times that he must really, these scribes and Pharisees, what were they preaching? They were preaching the law, some. And Jesus would get angry with them. But Jesus was never angry with what they preached when they were preaching the law because the law is good. The law is perfect. The law is right. Now, what they did begin to do was take and create traditions, their traditions. And uh, they began to preach them really more than they did the law. Jesus often became angry with them. He was angry with them not because of the law they preached, but because of the life they lived. Because they were, he said they were hypocrites. He actually says, I could give you the verse in Matthew. He says that, he said that, now did not Moses give you the law, but yet none of you keep the law. And he was talking to the scribes and Pharisees. He said, Moses gave you all the law, but none of you keep it. And can I say to you that that's true with every person on the planet? No, none of us have ever kept the law of God. Because the Bible says that if you fail in one point, you're guilty of all. And everybody in here listening to me has failed in keeping the law of God. And the Apostle Paul said in Galatians that this is how you fall from grace. Those that seek to obtain righteousness by keeping the law have fallen from grace. Because grace is a very elevated, high, lofty place because it's Jesus. So we have to understand this season. We have to understand that the great divide, because, and, and I've told you before, and I could, I could stand there and, and, you know, flip through the verses, but it's just in my heart just to talk to you, and I can go, I can cover, cover more ground. Is this okay? 
And I promise you, if I tell you it's in the Bible, it's in there. I don't have the book memorized yet. Still working on it. But Jesus said stuff like this, and this is really popular to be quoted. Jesus said to him, he says, forgive for those that trespass against you. Because he said, if you do not forgive them, neither will your heavenly father forgive you your trespasses. Is that what Jesus said? Now, if you have a red letter edition, can I just say, are those words in red? Now, I remember over 34 years ago when I began to obtain my license in ministry and began to, to submit to the denomination that I was in at that time and, and began to preach the gospel, I remember preachers, senior preachers, t- making this statement to us younger preachers. They would say this, very popular, don't stray too far from the words in red and you'll be all right. And I thought, yes, that's right. And so I assigned more weight to the words in red. I remember one van just came by a church and he had a red letter edition of the Old Testament. I ain't making this up. You had to donate $100 to him to get it, but I came up with $100 and I got it. It was big. I'd never heard such a thing. So the words in God, of God were in red in the Old Testament. I still have it. And there's nothing wrong with it. I'm not mocking it. I'm just saying, but that's my mentality. I was assigning more weight and importance to words in red. If you study the history of that thing, there was a Bible company publisher that was not really selling Bibles very well, and they came up with that idea as a promote to sell more Bibles and make their Bible different than their competitors. And they said, why don't we put the words of Jesus in red and that way we can sell our Bibles and offer something that the other guy don't have. And that's how that came about. It was a marketing scheme. Shikamo Shundai. Somebody said, well, the words of Jesus are more important. The Bible is the words of Jesus. No matter what color ink you print them in. Right? But if you don't know what the great divide is, then you, my friend, are going to be confused, double-minded, and and you're just going to get really messed up, and you're just going to try to ignore it and just shake your head and go on. That's just not a good way to live. Because God is the author, the Holy Spirit. Men wrote the Bible, but as they were moved on by the Holy Spirit... So the Bible doesn't contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. But all the words of Jesus in red were appropriate for the people he was speaking them to. Because these were people that had watered down the law and made it palatable for them. And they felt self-righteous. Listen, had the Pharisees and scribes done their job, Jesus could have jumped right to grace. Now, Jesus told parables and many stories that demonstrated God's love and grace and how Jesus dealt with people physically uh, was gracious. He came full of grace and truth. If he didn't only come with truth, we were all dead men. Because the law is true. But Jesus came full of grace and truth. Now, what you hear is we need to balance, Brother Dale, law and grace. It's impossible. There's no such thing as a balancing between law and grace. The Bible says in Romans 10 and 4 that Jesus Christ is the end of the law. To them 
for righteousness. So the law ain't for you. The law was never given to you unless you an Israelite, a, a Jew. The law was not given to every nation of the world. The law was given to the Jewish people. The Ten Commandments were not given to you. They were never yours. Good morning. <laughs> oh, I love it. I just aggravate religious people so much. It's okay, though. There was a day when I was in my 20s, if I'd have heard a preacher say that, I'd probably got up and slammed my Bible and walked out. So, hey, I get it. I understand. If you've been steeped in that like I was, I was Mr. Rules. I was Mr. Law. But that is a miserable way to live because deep down in your heart, you know you're always a failure and you're never living it. And you just try harder and beg God for mercy and repent and confess and try for another Sunday. And that's a miserable way to live. You live in hell while going to heaven. It's terrible. You don't have any confidence. You always feel like a guilty murderer. You just, it's just a horrible way to live. But Jesus said those words. So if you're a person here, and, and, and a lot of people love to quote that. But imagine walking up to some lady that's been raped brutally. And said, all right now, sweetie. You've got to forgive the man that did this to you now because if you don't, your Father in heaven won't forgive you. That's not grace, y'all. That's pay for, for labor. I earn something by forgiving, therefore I receive something. That's not grace. That's law. When Jesus made statements like, judge not lest you be judged, that's a threat. That's law. And he was declaring law to them that were under law. And listen, had the scribes and Pharisees really preached law like they should have, to the level they should have, then they, the, the, the Israel would have been primed and ready for a Savior. Because when Jesus had statements like, be perfect, and, and how perfect are we talking here? As perfect as my Father God is. Then they would have said, who can then be saved? And then you begin to understand when you read Romans 7 about the Apostle Paul, how he made those statements. He said, who shall deliver me from this vile body that I'm in? The good that I want to do, I don't do. The, one, the stuff I don't want to do, that's what I do. Uh, who, who would deliver me? That's not the confessions of a person trusting in Jesus. It's confessions of a person who's tried to obtain righteousness by the law. And Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? That's the question God wanted you to ask. That's the question that you got to ask today. Who shall deliver me? It's not your performance that's going to deliver you. You're not your Savior. Jesus is your Savior. He's the one that's to deliver you. He's the one that's come to set the captive free. So that's the question that the law is supposed to bring you to. The law is supposed to accomplish what it was sent to do, and that is to condemn you and to kill you. That's what the Apostle Paul said about the law. It is the ministry of condemnation. It condemns us before God. It has us guilty before God. It offers us no life at all. Then that prepares us. We need a Savior. That's why Jesus had to elevate the law, get it to the level that they realize you're not living it. Don't fool yourself. Don't kid yourself. You're all lost. In hopes that they would cry out, well, who shall deliver us? And Jesus said, that's what I've came for. I have came to seek and to save that that is lost. This is why I'm here. And they will, then they are primary. See, there are people that need to hear the law preached, but those are the people that's under deception that they're living it. Self-righteousness is, is so evil. 
because you think that you are obtaining that. Paul, Paul talked about it in Hebrews. He said, my, my, my heart's desire for Israel is that they be saved, all of Israel. But he said, but they, they go about to seek their own righteousness and they are ignorant of his righteousness. They're trying to obtain their own righteousness by keeping rules and regulations and, and performance and, and behavior. And they'll never obtain that. That's why Jesus, when that rich young ruler walked up to him and, and, and Jesus looks at him and he, he, he says, what good thing, you know, good teacher. Don't miss the phraseology, good teacher. See, a lot of people put Jesus in that category. Just a good teacher. And even people that go to church and church all over, all over this area, a lot of times really they're sitting there and I'm a Christian, yes, and I got my Bible in my lap. And I, you know, but they just see Jesus as a good teacher. They don't see him as God. How do you know? Because they don't, they don't, he's not the God of their life. He's not the Lord of their life. They see him as a good teacher. I'm going to add some good principles and precepts and things to my life. I mean, Jesus just makes things good. Just makes things good. Jesus is a whole lot more than a good teacher. And that's why when that guy said that, good teacher, Jesus said, why callest thou me good? Why do you call me good? There is none good but God only. And what I told you last Sunday, what he was saying to this rich young ruler, he, he wasn't denying the fact that Jesus was God in the flesh. He was saying, are you now prepared to look at me and call me God? Because I'm more than a good teacher. I'm God. Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I might have eternal life? Jesus said, you know the law, don't you? You're a Jew. Thou shalt not murder. I've done that. Thou shalt not. And so he said, all those, ah, all that I've done. I'm good on all that. Jesus said, well, now let me tell you what Jesus is like. Jesus will help find your idol. <laughs> Now, don't laugh at that, dude. We all got something. Well, let me say it this way. We've all had one. What started out as good can become a god to you, which becomes an idol. Idols are so destructive because they promise what they cannot deliver. And so he says to this rich young ruler, one thing thou lackest, go sell all your possessions. Don't forget that he's the rich young ruler. Go sell all your possession to give to the poor and then come and follow me. So I told you, is Jesus saying that it's bad to have stuff? No. But it's bad for stuff to have you. Y'all just let me know when I pre start preaching up in here. So you can have stuff, but I see people that's got a little bit of stuff, but that stuff's got them. It's got them. They can't ever be generous. They're, they're terrified that they're going to, five years from now, they're not going to have enough. That is the spirit of poverty. You understand you can be a billionaire and, 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 and be tormented by the spirit of poverty? The spirit of poverty has no regard to how much you got in your checking account. It's a mentality. So he says, go sell all that you have. Why? Because that was his idol. And how do I know it's idol? Because the Bible said that he went away sorrowfully. Now, what is it? And it said he was grieved because he had great possessions and he went away sorrowfully. Now, when Jesus said, go sell what you have, he was, he was putting his finger on that guy's idol. What is it in your life that you would not give up for Jesus? 
Because I thought the Bible says wherever your treasure is, there shall your heart be also. And so is Jesus, listen, is Jesus your treasure? Or something else your treasure? What is it that would cause you to not give up for Jesus and it would grieve you that you would turn loose of him and you would go the other way? That's your idol. We never think of things as being an idol in our life until we contemplate the possibility of giving them up. And if we say, oh, I would never give that up, that's your idol. Well, so I don't like preachers talking about money. Thank you for identifying your idol. <laughs> you make my job easy. Jesus can smoke out the rat in the woodpile. He can find your idol. And that's all it was, was about this guy, because that was his God. The Bible says that you, you can't serve both God and mammon. Mammon is, is money. For you'll either hold to one and despise the other, or you'll hold to the other and despise the one. Jesus says this is really what it's about. If you want to see what a person's, if you want to see where their treasure is, follow their money. Follow their money. It will reveal where their treasure is, where their heart is. If your checkbook ledger or your logging online now, your bank never reveals kingdom stuff. Don't tell me, man, God's on your God's priority and his kingdom and his work and and I just, I just want to say this, and this is not a, a rebuke or anything, but it's just a reality. But along with the, the message of God's grace, and, and it is so real. I'm, I might still do I shouldn't give out these, anyway, things. I was, I was working on a blog last week, and I was going to call it the danger of the grace message. The danger of Unconditional forgiveness from God. Boy, that would make some people click on it. I still might do it because just for the, for the click of it. And uh, I would say quickly that the grace message and the message of total forgiveness is very dangerous to the devil. And to his plan of bondage for your life and thinking. But it is absolutely the most liberating freedom that you could possibly receive from Jesus. I love that song, that last one that you guys sung. Because it's talked about living as if you're totally forgiven. I love that, I love that line. It, it, was, it was full of grace and it was full of truth. That song was powerful. I noticed they stole I'll Fly Away melody there in part of it. I leaned over to Jill and started singing, I'll fly away. That's cool. You borrow it, borrow that, you know, throw it in your song. But it was full of truth because you, when you live as if you are forgiven, you live differently. And you sin less, by the way. <laughs> You know, this is the whole deal here. I love pictures. 
And uh, I told you this, as we think about Easter coming up next Sunday and all this, and, and, and I do pray that if you've if you got friends and you've got family, you've got people, man, that's, that's not involved in, the, in church, but why don't you invite them? Because really, it's like that, you know, it's kind of like it's legal for everybody to come on that Sunday. <laughs> I mean, like everybody, I mean, you know, the most heathenest person will say, okay, I'll come on Easter. So just stretch out there and invite them. Seriously, would you do that? I mean, why don't you make, put yourself out there and just say, man, would you go to church with me? Come listen to our crazy preacher tell you about the love of God. Just, just, just come with me. And uh, just do that. How shall they hear without a preacher? That's what Paul said. Hear what? Good news. Good news. What's the good news? You've, you've already been forgiven. Well, I hadn't asked for forgiveness. I hadn't even asked you to forgive me. Don't matter. I don't need your permission. You're forgiven. What about all my sin? I took them away. Your neighbors too. Sin of the world. They're all gone. I hold no grudge in my heart, no anger in my heart towards you at all. All I want you to do is I've reconciled myself with you and my anger has been satisfied by the sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection of my son. All I want you to do now is be reconciled with me. How do I do that? Just believe what I did for you come home that's the gospel see how simple that is I thought I got to confess my sins what sins I don't know what you're talking about I already forgive them all I'm removed them is sin not a big deal are you crazy that's why he came him who knew no sin became sin so that you could become the righteous of God but let's focus on what he came to do and either you got to come to grips in your mind did he do it or did he not and if he did it and we have no more conscious of sin. Read Hebrews 10. I started to do that day, but I ain't got the time. Just start with verse 1 and go through like verse 25. Every verse is power-packed. Because in Hebrews 10, where Jesus said in Matthew 5, Be ye perfect, how perfect, even as your heavenly Father in heaven is perfect. That's how perfect you got to be to come home with me. Then in Hebrews 10, he says, By one sacrifice, this man has perfected forever all those who are being sanctified and believe in him. By one sacrifice, he perfected, how long? Forever. You're not perfect one Sunday, not perfect the next. Perfect one Sunday, not perfect. No, 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 none of that. None of that schizo stuff. None of that bipolar God. Love you one day, hate you next. None of that. None of that. It's religion. It's lies. devil loves it. Lazarus is dead. How many days has he been dead? Four days. The Bible says a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, a thousand years as a day. So Adam and Eve was born, created. I get it, no navel. Adam and Eve on the planet, time starts. 4,000 years later, Jesus is born. Right? You say, man, it's true, anyhow, whether you know it or not. In creation, in the story of creation, God says right out the gate, in the beginning, God. Because without Him, there ain't no beginning. So if you need a new beginning today, it starts with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and all this in them. And then God said... Let there be light. 
And I love this. It's like Southern. And light was. <laughs> God said, let there be light. And light was. Ain't that cool? But he didn't make the sun to the fourth day. That was on the first day. So the light must not be the sun. On the fourth day, God created the sun, the moon, and the stars. Right? Hang on with me now. The Bible always fits. So, Lazarus had been in the grave how many days? Four days. Jesus was born on the fourth day. So, for 4,000 years, although God's always been a God of grace, man was not able to to enjoy the benefit of the grace of God. Why? Because Jesus, the testimony, the testament had not been put in force because Jesus had not yet died. So we're all Lazarus, and everybody had labored under the unsurmountable burden of the law. The law is not the problem in itself. The law is not evil. The law is good. The problem is we can't keep the law because of flesh and the weakness of flesh. So therefore, God sent his son, his only begotten son, born under the law to redeem those that were under the law. And so he comes and he preaches grace, man. But he, dem- he preaches law, but he demonstrates grace. He preaches the law to those that needed to hear the law, the Jews. He didn't preach the law to the Gentiles. They didn't know anything about law. The law was not for them, nor given to them, nor did they have any anticipation or expectation to keep it. No regard for it. So he, could, he was able to jump right to grace with them. They saw themselves lost anyway, just being Gentiles. They couldn't believe that he would adopt them into the family of God and graft them in to the noble tree. So now Jesus is standing there at the grave of his friend. Jesus, when he got out of the, the, the resurrection, he said, tell my brethren. He said, he, he told them before that, he said, listen, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. I'm just a servant of the Lord. Wrong answer. I'm just a soldier in the army of God. Wrong answer. God didn't die to make you a servant. God didn't die to make you a soldier. None of that's in there. He, he died to make you a son. And a daughter, you understand what I mean, to, to uh, adopt you. And unless you see him as father first, none of that other stuff, all that will get confusing. So he stands outside the tomb of this one who for four days, 4,000 years, has been bound. And he calls him by name. A lot of people in this world may not even know you exist, may not know your name. And your, main, your name may, may mean nothing to them. But God knows you by name. He says it in the scripture several times. For by your name have I known thee. And I have called thee by thy name. So he stands outside the tomb. But before he can call him by name to save him. Save him from what? Death. Lazarus had died. 
It wasn't that Lazarus did something wrong and needed forgiveness. It's that Lazarus had died and needed life. In the garden, Adam and Eve did not commit a sin that they need forgiveness for. They committed a sin that led to death because death entered by sin. And they did sin which brought death and they needed life. And I have come, Jesus said, that they might have not forgiveness but life. Forgiveness is part of it, yes. But he's come to give them life. He didn't come just to forgive you. He came to give you life. A new and living way. That you would have his life. His righteousness. His grace, His peace, His mercy. So, he said, now before I can call him by name, we've got we to deal with some big rock here, big stone in front of this. Roll that stone away. Symbolism, granted, but it's true. Remove ye the stone. So, Jesus has the stone removed out of the way what is the stone symbolic of the law god wrote his commandments with his own finger on stone the tablets with me roll them away christ is the end of the law for them that seek righteousness and now he stands there with the law removed there is no obstacle now there's no anger there's nothing but love lazarus come forth That's always been the call with God. Come to me. Follow me. The the rich young ruler, follow me. It was not about your stuff. It's about follow me. And that stuff is keeping you from following me. And that there's nothing in this world worth putting in place of following Jesus. Nothing. No person, no thing, nothing is worth not following Jesus because of that. Well, I'd go to church except for my husband. Then that's your idol then. And your husband can become your idol because now you're worshiping him. You're paying homage to Him. You're paying honor to Him. And you're disregarding the Lord. It can start out good, but it's not to be your your idol. It's not to be the obstacle. And could it be that you just don't really have confidence in what the Word says? God says, if I save you, I'll save your house. That's what He told the Philippian jailer. This ain't just for you. This is for your household, dude. Because I know that light always overcomes darkness. And if we just get one person in that house living their life before Jesus Christ, they don't even have to preach, pass out tracts, or, you know, do anything. All they got to do is just live for Jesus in that house. It's going to change that house. It's going to change where you work. It'll even change where you worship. I love that Jesus said, Lazarus, come here. And the Bible said, Lazarus came. It's not hard for God to save you now because he's paid the price. He comes forth and he's bound with grave clothes. Has a grave napkin stuck in his mouth. All that stuff. Jesus says, loose him and let him go. And I believe that is symbolic of religion. Religion tries to take something that it can't save, but it tries to act like it can save it. Something that's dead and decaying and stinking. Let's just wrap it real good. Let's put some rules around it. Let's dress it up. Let's throw some flowers in there, some spices. Let's sing, you know, a song. Let's call it church. But it won't save the person. It won't give them life. It won't give them life. Jesus is not about behavior modification, but he's about life altering. He's about changing the life. You're dead in sin and trespassing. But you're alive now to God. 
And he says, now this is how you got to live, guys. Reckon yourself as dead to sin. I think reckon is a southern term too. I reckon. But what does that mean? You got to think like I'm dead to sin. Reckon yourself as dead to sin. I'm dead to sin. But don't forget the other part. But I'm alive to God. I used to be dead to God and alive to sin. But now that I've been born again, I'm dead to sin, and now I'm really alive to God. It is the most normal thing for me to hear the voice of God. It is the most normal thing for me to do the will of God. It's the most normal thing for me now because I have the DNA, the life of God on the inside of me. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwelleth within me. It's the most normal thing for me to be victorious. It's the most normal thing now because Jesus lives within me and I'm in him and he's in me and we can just Holy Ghost tangled up. I'm telling you, Jesus is with me all the time. He's for me all the time. He's never against me. How can I lose? I'm going bankrupt. You, you got a person that owns the word universe in you. So how can you be, ever be really declared bankrupt? Thought you said he owns the... Cattle up with the house of hills and the hills that the cattle is on. <laughs> he owns it all. The world, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Lazarus come forth. Y'all get them grave clothes off of him. Get all that religious stuff off of him. And do you know what it says about Lazarus from then on? It says people wanted to kill him. Just my sixes. But I, I think that is so funny. He said they would go to dinners and, all, and the Jews would be talking about, let's kill that guy. <laughs> Lazarus, can you imagine Lazarus talking about, take your best shot? Man, I've already been dead one time. <laughs> oh, you mean you want to kill me again? <laughs> I ain't scared, but I've been there, done that. You know why it said in the Bible that they wanted to kill Lazarus? Because because of him, many people turned their life to Jesus. I would to God that it could be said of me and every one of us that name his name. That because of you, many people have turned their heart to Jesus. Just the way you eat supper with them. Just the way you live around them. Because of you, many, many have started following him. See, we need some people like Paul said, follow me to some people as I follow the Lord. So you might not can see the Lord and don't feel like you can follow him, but you can follow me. So just follow me for a little while. Because I'm following him, and before long, you'll want to quit following me, and you'll just be following him. But until then, follow me as I follow the Lord. Now, I would to God that we've got people right here at Grace Point that can live their life, and you can look to somebody and say, just follow me. Just love your wife like I love my wife. Pay your bills like I pay my bills. Forgive people like I forgive. Do See, when it goes back, if Jesus, if, if Jesus said, you forgive those who trespass against you, if you don't, your Heavenly Father won't forgive you. And if you, you, you throw that on somebody, then what you're doing is you're hitting them with the law and you're scaring them. And you know what you just did? You took away all hope of being saved. 
Because the Apostle Paul comes along in the New Covenant after the resurrection and says, forgive, forgive them as Christ has forgiven you. Now, forgiveness is important. But how are you going to go up to somebody? I remember before I knew this, I'm talking about I was a young preacher. I, was, I, was, I spent six years, five, six years doing uh, nothing but revivals, traveling. And I remember in one of my cities where I was preaching, a lady came up. I had preached on forgiveness that night, being, you know, not carrying unforgiveness. And a lady came up to me, and it was the most eye-opening moment. But she said, how in the world do you expect me to forgive? And the story I just mentioned earlier, it was true. She said, I was brutally raped. She said, he is unforgivable. And how do you expect me to forgive? You know what I told her? Law. You know what I told her? I said, you have to forgive him. You don't have no choice. You must forgive him. Because if you don't forgive him, neither will your father forgive and answer your prayers. She turned and went away sorrowfully. Not because of Jesus, but because of me. Because I didn't know grace. All I did was new law. I knew words in red that would make her dead. And they did. But she didn't just... No. How are you going to tell? Listen, people offend us every day. Men hurt us. They offend us every day. How are you going to have a 100% clean slate and not have unforgiveness against anybody? You must ain't been hurt bad as I have. I got some, you know, I've prayed the prayer, God, I forgive them in Jesus' name. But I don't want to eat no burger with them. And I ain't going to hang out with them. And I'm not going to put myself in a position to be hurt by them again. Well, you just ain't forgive them. <laughs> you think? Now, I'm not proud of that. I'm not saying follow that pattern. I'm just saying that I'm, a, I'm, I'm realistic enough to tell you, stop kidding yourself. But if my salvation is contingent upon me having 100% clean, pure rate that I have forgiven every human that's ever hurt me or my family, I ain't going to make it. I'm going to tell you I ain't going to make it. Because there's some people that if I was God... I'd have done took them off the planet. And I would say the planet will be better by their absence. I can't believe he's a preacher talking like that. Well, it's the truth. Now, don't, don't, unforgiveness hurts you. It, you know, you've heard that. It's like drinking poison and want another person to die. Okay, that's what unforgiveness is. You know, you're drinking poison. You want them to drop dead. It's not going to happen. So you are better served by the grace of God in faith in Jesus to say the words by faith initially and let the feelings catch up. Father, in Jesus' name, I forgive this person in Jesus' name who has wounded me, has hurt me, has robbed me, has cheated me. And the hardest ones that I've had to do is, is, is my brothers. The church, you know... David said that. I read it in the Bible. David said that if it hadn't been my brother, I could have took it. But it was him who we had sweet communion at the house of God together. He's the one that stabbed me. Hey, I've been there. I know it's tough. And I'm not advocating it's okay to walk around with unforgiveness. Do you understand me? I'm just simply saying that we're humans. Our flesh is weak. But all I'm telling you is God's not holding that against you and mad with you and saying, well, you're going to go to hell because you didn't forgive that guy. Because I don't know that all of us in here has got 100%. We don't have no alt in our heart against nobody. I know that's a good testimony, but I ain't sure I believe it. 
I bet if I dug around, I could find somebody when I said their name, it'd make your face curl up. <laughs> the church has preached unforgiveness non-biblically and just slightly stupid. Go up to a little child being molested. Now they're a young adult and tell them, well, you got to forgive a person done that. You know, if you don't, God ain't let you have. It's ridiculous. That's law. God gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud. Now, when Jesus calls us by name, the grave clothes of religion come off. And we have a new life. New life. Who, who gave Lazarus his new life? Jesus did. And because of the life that now is in Lazarus, I, I just believe that he lived differently. I used to love that when we, way back years ago when I first started church in sports, we, we had a drama team and we used to do a drama. You know, some of you ain't never heard this guy. He's ancient to some of you. But Carmen had a lot of very uh, narrative songs. Carmen. Just Google him. Um, but he had this drama that we, we, we'd do a drama to, and it's like that Lazarus had died. And he was in hanging out with all the people that was held in the, in the shield in the place of holding before the resurrection. You know, because Jesus, before he ascended, he first descended and he took captivity captive. He went in there and brought all them that was hanging out waiting on the resurrection. Because I'm going to tell you, they were waiting on it. Abraham was waiting on it. I mean, they all waiting on it. And it's like in that, in that song I remember, that, you know, Lazarus just meeting with him. He's talking with everybody. And it's like, he's my, you know, and then you start hearing, you know, Lazarus. <laughs> you know, it's like I hear that man call my name today. He's like, Lazarus. And he, he's like, excuse me, excuse me, brother. I think he called him in Lazarus. And then he just calls him out of the grave. Comes forth. See, you understand when God saved you? It wasn't like just to cast a net, you know, hope you jump in. He called you by your name. Specifically. He specifically wanted you. And he specifically died for you. And he removed the obstacle that caused you not to be able to be saved, which was your performance and the law. He removed the stone and he called you out. And he said, I don't want you to live with grave clothes of religion, but I want you to live robed with my righteousness now, my life. And because of your life now in me, my life in you, Christ in you, then many people are going to turn and follow me because of you. Because I'm going to go away, but you're going to stay, and they're going to turn their heart towards me because of you. That's what it's about, y'all. And I pray that you see that today. And I pray that you know where your Bible divides. And it's not Matthew chapter 1. It's toward the end of Matthew. And it's toward the end of all the four Gospels when Jesus dies. And then after he dies, buried, and was resurrected, then you can, if you... If you want to tear out that divider page and stick it in there, that's when your New Testament really starts. That's when the new covenant starts. And it doesn't disavow anything that Jesus said because it was appropriate to those he said it to. But Christ is the end of the law now for those that are seeking righteousness because he came to gift you, give you as a gift, his righteousness. And now you've become the righteous of God in Christ. And that's the key, in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All that old stuff, obsolete, goes away. It's a new day. Under the law, sin contaminated everything it touched. That's why it says touch not, handle not, all that stuff. But under grace, righteousness contaminates everything. 
Under law, you touch a leper, you get leprosy. Under grace, Jesus touched lepers. They didn't, he didn't get leprosy. They got his, what, the power of God, the life of God that was in him flew to, uh, flowed to them. It's a new day. Paul called it a new and living way. That's what Christ died to give us. Would you stand with you? To stand with me today. God bless you. You receive the word of the Lord today. Would you give God praise? Come on, elders. Let me have some prayer. Ministry team, have some prayer folks up front here. So glad you're here today. Listen, seriously, how about bringing somebody with you next Sunday? Let's, let's pack this place out for Jesus. How about it, okay? I'm going to pray, dismiss the church. Hey, listen. You should have already done it by now. But if you didn't, put your faith in Jesus Christ. Believe the good news I've declared to you. And Paul said, when you do that, guess what? You're saved. You're saved. You're born again. Put your faith in him. Uh, if you want us to pray with you about anything, anything at all, we're here to do so. It's our privilege and honor to pray with you about whatever that's on your heart today. Okay? All right. Don't be worried about the storm today. Everything's going to be okay. Thank you for coming to church and not letting not the Weather Channel be your guide. I tell my wife all the time, I get so tired of the way they do it. They just paint everything in red, you know, and just, you know, here's coming across, you know. Oh, I can't go to church today. It's going to be a storm. <laughs> Come on, man. We need some rain. It's getting a little dry. Thank you, Lord. So, Father, thank you for you dividing not only time, but eternity. Thank you for, Lord, giving life where there was nothing but death for righteousness where there was nothing but unrighteousness and for hope where there was just hopelessness. Thank you for being my Savior, our Savior, the Savior of this world who forgave the sins of the world. You took them away. Thank you for doing that, Father. Thank you, Father. I pray today that you would cause everyone listening to put their faith, confidence, and trust in you as their Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Grace Point. If you want prayer, please come this way. We're here waiting on you.